0: Okie dokie, a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel!
1: Here I am. What are we gonna talk about today? Today we are talking about the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 107. Last week we continued... This back and forth between the scribes, the bad Pharisees, the Sadducees, the elders who are trying to plot against Jesus and entangle him with his words. Uh, We had a couple different stories. The first was them asking about money uh, that has the image of Caesar on it and asking him like, is it lawful to... Pay taxes to Caesar or what? And yeah. we actually, well, I learned something new because I have always just heard it's like, yeah, just give your tithe to, you know, what belongs to the church, and give your taxes to what belongs to the government. But Paul pointed out last week that it's much more uh, tap it into that image bearing thing. That yeah. since Caesar's image uh, is on the coin, you give whatever portion he's asking for back to him. But then uh, whatever Jesus said, give to God what is God's, like what has God's image? It's humanity, and it's this sense of giving up your entire life, like offering up your life as a sacrifice and as an offering to God, which I thought was a really, really cool image uh, and lesson for us. Um, And then we spent the rest of the episode having an in-depth conversation about why the Sadducees were asking about marriage and had the story of this man and wife and the man died and then the the deceased man had several brothers seven of them uh in total and each brother took this woman as his wife and then they died and so on and so forth and they asked him like who who's going to be married in heaven and Jesus, is like there's not going to be any marriage in heaven, and yeah. we we talked about the role that marriage plays here in this age, and why uh that that role uh that covenant is no longer applicable in the kingdom and the world to come because of what God and what Messiah are doing to the restored earth, the restored Jerusalem, et cetera,
0: yeah, yeah, that was a good conversation, a lot of Uh, You know, it related to just marriage generally, but yeah, it's purpose, all that. That was good. And, you know, I don't think we said it last week, but I think some people might look back at this and go, hey, this this woman, I mean, we don't know her, no no reason to think she was a bad person, but, you know, she could have been like the original Black Widow. (laughs) But we're going to go on because, remember, we talked about this was uh, at least some in the, I don't know, the... The academic realm or whatever, they refer to this as the four questions. And we said that there were three that were asked of Jesus, one asked by Jesus. So we're on to number three. This, again, is asked of Jesus. And it says, let's see, we're actually, uh, let's get our bearings here. We're in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. And we're also looking at Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, and since mark gives us a little more detail i'm going to read from that one and i just want to catch one little thing on the end of matthew but anyway let me start with mark 12:28 and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well asked him which commandment is the most important of all and jesus answered The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I just want to uh, go back the very end of the Matthew reading. So this is going to be Matthew chapter 22, verse forty he slips in one little piece of information that I think is really good. So he named the two laws, love love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself. Matthew adds, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All right, so there's our setup. This is, I don't know, I think this is a really cool story. Let's talk about what we've got in here and why this is so good. It's It's a scribe. One of the scribes came up and I think it's even possible to to think that well, it's it's probably an actual Pharisee scribe. He's a scribe, but he he associates or considers himself a part of the Pharisees, right? But anyway, he's the guy that asked question number three. It's difficult to say. Like if you were just reading the Matthew version, you might you might think that. Oh, no, the, the scribe actually, you know, he's he's liking all, everything that Jesus is saying. He's kind of compelling, and he wants to test him, like, in the good sense, okay? But you'd be guessing more there. Mark, thank goodness, from my perspective, he makes it way, way more clear. This scribe was testing him, but in the positive way. He he had already seen that he had answered them well. And so when you test a thing, sometimes you're testing it because you want to disprove. And other times you test a thing because you want to prove, which leads to approving of that thing or whatever. So he's doing it in a positive way. And now one more little side note, in this podcast, we've talked on a number of occasions how commandments must be prioritized. And it's not a they may be, it's a they must be, because life is going to bring Situations where there are contradictions between commandments. And we talked about one of the simplest and earliest and easiest rules. Well, what if you had two commandments that really, really seem to apply in any given situation? One of them was a positive commandment like thou shalt. And another one was more like a negative commandment. We think of the words thou shalt not or whatever. Well, the positive commandment supersedes the negative one. That's just a thing, and there's all kinds of stuff like that. And we talked about Jesus, you know, uh, prioritizing human uh, suffering, alleviating suffering, etc., over things like Sabbath or whatever. So this is the thing; it's a it's a com uh, it's, it's a constant within Judaism. But now, what this guy's doing? He's asking Jesus to rank or prioritize. What's the number one? What's the tippity top? What's the one that? you know, all others are beneath this. And it's not at their expense. He's not saying, give me one that I can follow so that I can ignore the rest. He's simply saying, what's the most important one? And all the others in the questioner's mind, in Jesus's mind, everything else remains. It's It's all good. So Jesus, he goes straight for the direct answer. He actually quotes Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four and five, and it's, Those verses, they're very, very uh, popular. Samuel, what are they known as? The Shema. That's right. So he quotes from there, and he also quotes for a second one. I know the guy only asked for one. The second one comes from Leviticus 19.18. We've talked about these things before. You can go look them up if you want. Now, we could simplify these two laws like this. I mean, even easier than what Jesus said. Love God, love man. I mean, that's simple, right, Samuel? Yep. Now, in Matthew, Jesus even adds that, and I read it, all of the scriptures depend on these two. Love God is first because, well, just think about it just for a second. If you don't have that one, you have no reason for obeying any other command. You either love God, which is like, you know, I guess, accepting that he exists and accepting everything about who he says he is, all that kind of stuff. If you don't have that, no other command matters. So so obviously, that that's at least one reason that that one would be first. But then there's also, and, and Jesus wasn't the only one to do this, but these two verses are actually connected by the text itself. If you looked at Leviticus nineteen eighteen, you looked at Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, they're connected by the phrase, And you shall love. In Hebrew, forgive my pronunciation if it isn't right, but it's something like ve'ahavta. And, I mean, we look at that and it's like, well, what's the big deal? They both started with, and you shall love. Well, it's not that common in your Old Testament and and, and in the Torah, the first five books. And so they noticed, you know what? There's a connection here. Now, again, this isn't saying, nothing about this is saying that all the other commands can be ignored and you can just focus on these two. That's just silly. If if you go, uh, you could look at Romans chapter 13, verses 9 and 10, Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, James chapter 2, verse 8. All of these have that little thing about loving your neighbor as yourself. As if, you know what, man, if you could keep that one, it's like, it's like you're keeping it all, right? But they're not saying that as if just keep this one and ignore all the rest. What they're saying is that one is a good representative of all the others. So all these commands together support these two, or they point to these two, or you might just say they provide the detail for these two. They're a quick and easy summary, but a summary is only a condensed or abridged version of a whole, and and it's supposed to effectively point back to the whole. And so I was writing all this out, Samuel, and I'm bringing up something. I know this is from a day and an age. You probably can't even relate to it because you're younger, but maybe you can. I don't know. When I was growing up, we all had to fix our own cars because one, we were poor, and number two, uh, we were poor. So the, you you if you had somebody who could really teach you how to do all these things, that was great. But for some of us, we were stuck buying something called a Chilton guide. And this thing was so classic because it had pictures and it had step-by-step instructions. You could do anything to fix your car using a Chilton guide if you had, you know, just a little bit of skill, a little bit of brain, whatever. It was fantastic. But now, okay, I've, I've painted that picture of a Chilton manual, okay? Now I want you to imagine... Well, what if you got a Chilton guide, and it was just a summary? If, if all it said was, here's what you're going to do. You're going to tear down your engine, and then you're going to replace this part, and then you're going to put it all back together. I mean, is there anything untrue about that? I mean, not necessarily. No. It's, I mean, it's completely accurate, completely true. And is it, is it actually describing what is going to happen? Most likely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's totally it. But if, if that was what the Chilton manual said, you'd feel like you wasted your 1999. Mm. Because it's not telling you anything about how exactly it is that you love God. How exactly it is that you love your neighbor. You can't just make it up yourself. You're going to end up with an engine that never works again. Unless, you know, you're extremely talented, Get whatever. So... Anyway, that's the thing. These two laws, they're not replacing everything else. It's, they're just a summary. So when he says the word depend, I think maybe to to help us get a, a vision of what that looks like, maybe we could think of the word hang. All of the other commands hang off of these two. And maybe you might even in your head get this image of, As opposed to them just sort of floating off in the air. They they do depend on it. They do hang on those two. They're all related. But anyway, there's that. So anyway, I I just wanted to get that image out there. Because so many people look at the law and the Torah and all this like it's not valuable. And I mean, it's a complicated thing in, in some ways. But to just toss them aside is the mistake. We need to understand there's real value there. It's like a pot of gold. So anyway, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy and he adds an extra word. I don't know if you noticed that, Samuel. We could probably spend a lot of time trying to figure, trying to figure out, okay, why did he do the extra word or whatever? Uh, but what we're going to do is try to focus on, okay, what exactly was it that he added? And, and how did his questioner take that? Because I think that's something really important, some good we can take from this. So, Jesus includes the original. If you went back and you read it in Deuteronomy, you got heart, soul, and strength. That's all good. But Jesus adds mind. Now, we've mentioned before how scriptures use the word heart the way that we today would use the word mind okay what well, so today when we say heart samuel what are we talking about
1: uh i mean a lot of people take it literally but it's i guess you could say it's like your all of your being all of your essence
0: well it's it, like today you, people usually think of it as like their emotions oh, okay the things that we feel and maybe even to some extent maybe you know our our drive and our desires you know that kind of stuff gotcha right and when we think of the mind We think of intellect, thinking, and maybe even our conception of our own self, our own being, right? Our consciousness or something like that. But when you're in the scriptures and you see heart, it's kind of, it's a lot more like what we today would call the mind. And you might even go further and say it's it's actually sort of both. So when they say heart, that's including all of that. And so that actually makes this hard because Jesus added the new word mind <laughs> so here we are talking about hey when you see the word heart think more like mind but then Jesus added the word mind so this is it's going to make to it make it hard for us to kind of really pick at what's going on so what's being communicated by this word when when you see it in your translation as mind is something more like deep thought and understanding so it isn't just thinking and intellect it goes beyond that into understanding now those words make sense to me i don't know if they're going to make sense to you but i'm hoping that you can see there's there's something a little bit different between conscious thought or intellect and and this idea of understanding understanding so I don't know. Samuel, you got anything before I continue? Uh, I mean, I, there's a whole bunch more. I'm going to stick with the same text, but that those seem like important concepts, and I've said a lot of stuff already. Anything in there?
1: Uh, well, I guess the only thing I'm struggling with, I mean, I know within Judaism, they're pharisaic at least. There's this sense of not adding words to Torah or removing words to Torah. So how would have the audience taken... Jesus adding this in um, whenever they would have been familiar with the Shema very well and they would have recognized like wait he just added something like that's not right yeah
0: yeah well I I think there's a couple of things about that number one you are already familiar with things like the Targums where they Mm -hmm. seem to be a bit of an amplification of the scriptures where they, they try to write the scriptures, but include some of the common understanding and interpretation in them. So we already see them doing things like that. We already know the Talmud, uh, etc. Now, that didn't exist in Jesus' day. It's coming after. But all of the thinking, all of the oral stuff existed. It just wasn't written down yet. And so you know that they they do go a little beyond. So, so I think we need to be careful, uh, on one hand, not to be too literal about adding something, and what they would be meaning is something more like, are you actually changing the definition? Are you, are you putting something in there that God never intended in the first place? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's that. But the second thing is you did a great job of setting up what's coming up because we need to look at, well, how did his audience take it? That audience was this scribe that was asking the question. So let's see what he says. This is good. The scribe tells Jesus that huh, he is right. Now, <laughs> you may hear that and you kind of you might think, "Wow, that's that's kind of arrogant." Here you are telling the Messiah <laughs> that he's right, but I, I don't think that's fair. I mean, I, I think this guy was he was being very honest and very sincere. This was this was good conversation, and you know, if it makes it feel better, you might just think of it more as "I agree" as opposed to "You're right," you know, that kind of thing. But Then the scribe does something super cool. He states what Jesus just said right back to him, paraphrased. And this is such an important part of conversation and learning. I'm going to say we've lost (laughs) to a great degree today, but it's so important. We need to do this a lot more with one another, just Say it back. This is what I hear you saying. What he does is he elaborates on the God is one part. Okay. Jesus said he basically just just quoted. Okay. Um, But what he does is he goes to this thing with there is no other besides him, which is kind of cool because that's also back in Deuteronomy. It's just in chapter four, verse 35. So, all right. Scribe. Well done. It's really good. So he's repeating it back, showing he understood, and actually uh, enhancing it to a a degree. So it's good. And then, then he demonstrates that he totally understands what Jesus did when he added the word mind. He replaces what Jesus said with your soul and mind. He replaced it with just the word mind understanding. And this, this is so good. Our very soul, and this isn't, I'm, we're not talking about our eternal spirit, okay? We're talking about the soul. It's the nefesh in Hebrew. It's the thing that we share with the animals. And so our soul, our, 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 our life, our being, and our deepest thoughts The things that actually drive us to be who we really are, together they make up our understanding. And so we must actively love God. Uh, Now, and, and I guess part of this is you know, like if you think about your brain alone, we can think about a lot of things. But when it gets down to it, we actually act. On our understanding and so I, this guy gets it it's really cool this dude you know he's a, a scribe and, and we would say of the pharisees as, you know as far as we can tell he gets it this is really good and then the scribe adds even one more little awesome bit of understanding he says uh, something about living out these two commands and 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 that is you know again it's referring back to all of the detail that they summarize but it's this idea that living out these two commands outweighs all of the offerings and sacrifices that you could bring and in case you you need to f- prove that this guy is right or something like that Samuel how about you read from 1st 1
1: Samuel 15:22 and Samuel said Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Yeah. So, if you were like Jesus,
0: hint, you're not, you know, without sin, you've never broken any commands or whatever, okay, you would never need... To participate in the sacrificial system, at least from the standpoint of atonement and forgiveness. The sacrificial system actually covered more than that. It's it's much more rich than that. But that is a part of it. But if you were without sin, you'd never need to participate in that part. You could, or you know, I guess you would, Jesus would, still participate in in like the offerings, the burnt offerings, the thankfulness, the 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 fellowship part, all of that. Many of the verses about sacrifice and sacrifices have been misunderstood. God required it. He's the one that said, this is what I want. And he even loved it. Words directly out of his mouth. God loved it. It was a token of obedience. There was was obedience in it, but it was a token of obedience. So God only hated sacrifice, which, you know, that shows up at a couple places in Scripture, and this is what gets un- misunderstood. He only hated it when it was done improperly, when it became just an act, when it was, it was yeah, this is just kind of what we do. I break all of these commandments. I'm, I'm nowhere near being the image of God in my everyday life, but, hey, it's time to go and offer a sacrifice. No real obedience behind it. Well, God hated that. The sacrifices were supposed to be the culmination of obedience. So anyway, additionally, whether we call it love or obedience, it was a priority over the sacrificial system. And we see that even like when Jesus is doing some of his stuff, like alleviating human suffering over the Sabbath. So it's... In this, in this uh, question and answer and the interaction between this scribe and Jesus, this is, this is really, really good stuff. And in the end of it, Jesus offers this guy a great compliment. You are not far from the kingdom. And for a man in his position, given everything that had been given to him, to be able to step out of that and see what Jesus was bringing to the table, this was awesome. And and we know that many, many, many struggled with that and didn't overcome it. So this was good. He had a lot of culture, training, instruction, all that stuff to overcome, but he had surpassed the other scribes and Pharisees in the Matthew five twenty sense. That was, you know, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees kind of thing. Now today, we call it deconstructing. That's the popular word. Uh, I, I gotta say, by the way, That can be done well, and that can also be done not well. (laughs) It could be a good thing or a bad thing. So, you know, use caution. I, I'm just going to say, I had to go through a period of deconstructing, but I believe that it was for good. I didn't end up in some weird place. I ended up in a better place. Now, of course, some people are going to listen to things I say and think I'm weird, whatever, but... If we talk long enough, I think I can, you know, help them see. No, th- th- there there are reasons for all of this. You still may not agree, but you you won't think I'm just a, a dork. Anyway, this dude, this, this uh, scribe, he was well on his way. And this inter- interaction, uh, again, I think it's awesome. It's so awesome, in fact, that even those listening around them were awestruck. Now, probably the culmination of the three questions, if this really did all happen all in one setting, whatever, But they were awestruck. They weren't going to ask any more questions. And why should they? His teaching was unassailable. Now, you could willfully disagree, of course. Anyone can. But in the end, you're just going to be wrong. That's all there is to it. So, all right. A lot of stuff on that one. Samuel, what do you got?
1: Uh, I think that this is a convicting section and it's making me wrestle and have to take a step back and think and rethink a lot of the things that you just mentioned. Um, I did want to just add an illustration how you were talking about how these two commandments, like loving God and loving man, are kind of the foundation of the entire Torah. Mm, What came to mind for me is like, uh, and you were talking about the the Chilton guide with cars. So, <laughs> right. adding to the car analogy, like those two commandments that Jesus mentions from the Shema are kind of like the frame of the car, and the rest of the Torah is built on the frame. Uh-huh. Like you, uh, yeah. So you can't can't have a complete car without the frame, like, and you can't have image bearing a scene in the Torah without loving God and loving your fellow man so yeah i don't know if that image helps but it, it seemed to help me in the moment yeah but if all you had was a frame it's kind of rough you still yeah. need steering
0: wheels and mirrors and seats and engines and i you know, lights all the stuff right
1: It'd make it a good car yeah good one what else you got i also wanted to go back to the the mind part that Jesus adds, uh, because I I know that you mentioned that it could be confusing, and even I'm still struggling with it. So <laughs> could I pose a exercise for you to do? Paul, could could you do the Paul March Targum version of Jesus's words in verse thirty, uh, with everything that we've learned and how you've introduced these concepts? Could we rephrase it like? in a summary quickly so that the the listener can, we can make sure that they're clear on it before we move on. Yeah, I could, well, I guess I could give it a shot. I can tell you this. I know
0: I can think of one resource in particular where they, they really break these down uh, in great detail. And I wish I had that in front of me because it would be the perfect answer to your question, but let's go on and, and give it a shot. It says, and you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, so when we're talking about the heart, and as we've discussed before, this relates to what we think of as ourselves. It's the way that we think. It's the conscious idea of ourselves. Uh, it has to do with our will and our emotions and all of those things. But then you get to the next one, and, and it says soul, it's like, okay, now wait a minute. We know in, in the general sense in our scriptures, when we're talking about a soul, we're talking about the nephesh. And so when, when we talked about heart, we talked about things like our thoughts and our consciousness, intellect, will, emotions. But if we go beyond that, there's like this... Uh, and, and, and the, the beauty is you can see this both in animals and in humans, because again, we're going back to that nefesh, there is contained within your physical body, I guess there are people in, in the world who would disagree with this, but I think it's easy to look, whether we're talking about humans or animals, to look at them and recognize that there's, there's something or someone in there. We 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 see something beyond their physical body, and and it, we're not we're not thinking about their thoughts or their will or their emotion. We're thinking about, but but there's a person in there or there's a being in there. And I mean, all you gotta do is have pets for a little while, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, this this thing, it's like a real being, you know? It's <laughs> a, all of this stuff, so. So heart and soul, it, it might feel like they get a little bit confused, a little bit overlapping, whatever, but those are the way that I would talk about those. So, so there's your heart, uh, as in like uh, thoughts, will, emotions, and then your soul, your very being, and so now those two exist, and then when you go to mind, now it's like, but wait a second, somewhere within the thoughts and the will and the emotions and your very self, there's still something more. There's some part of you that is able to look into the world around you, whether it's people or the creation or what do we think of like language and thought and and all of those things. And to take from all of that a comprehension, a seeing into things an understanding of, and know something more about the world around us. And so it is with that understanding that 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 we are able to love God better. So if if your thoughts and heart uh, will and emotions, you're you're loving God by by submitting them to him, your very being that you know that person that you are somehow within you, uh, that is dedicated to to loving God and then as you understand more and more of the world around you that gives you more tools if you will to to love God okay and then your strength this is an interesting one because it's it's the word might it's actually more about your resources everything that is within your power. Now, this could, we think in modern terms, we might think of things like money or possessions. Okay, that's a real thing. But it's also going to include uh, like, for example, my brothers, just uh, they have this unbelievable ability to understand and fix anything. Now, I'm the guy that needs the Chilton guide, okay? (laughs) And then I can do pretty okay. But they... They can just take stuff apart, put it back together. They just get it. That is a might. That is a strength that they have that can be applied to loving God. So I realize a Targum would have done this in like a slightly extended paragraph. (laughs) I did it in like, you know, uh, a Sunday sermon, whatever. But I I don't know. Sam, those are the things that I see. And I don't know if that's actually getting at what you want or if it helped at all. But there you go. Yeah, I
1: mean, and... I I don't think that I'm in the wrong to say that this teaching by Jesus in terms of from an Eastern Jewish perspective, it's so much more complex than what our Western minds and Western evangelical teachings typically offer. And, you know, the way that you describe the complexity, nuances of this teaching just showcases that. And it's almost is it wrong to say that it's almost as if it's each tenant is building off of one another and then what i mean by that and it's going to tie into the strength part so like you have love the lord your god with all of your being that eventually like that encompasses all of your personhood that makes you you and then from there what makes you you eventually results uh, practically in how you understand the world and act on it and then I got this teaching from Marty Solomon the Hebraic thought with all of your strength you could you could uh, interpolate that and with all of your very like right everything everything that you've got with heart soul mind being personhood, understanding do that to infinity percent that you're capable of. like, it, Yeah. C- can you say that it, it's a building type of process with the, the commandment? Oh, I think that's a great way to look at it.
0: Yeah. I think people normally, and this is true, this is, I mean, part of what the whole bo- our whole podcast is about. People read this stuff, and it's like, oh yeah, right, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Got it. Okay. <laughs> there is a deep well here just this one statement you could spend your life pursuing this right so yeah i think it's really good to to dig deep on these things sometime and and when you see something like what you're talking about yeah it's it's almost like they build on one another great that's a good image a good vision of how this works
1: Mm. yeah yeah it's fantastic final thing i know i've got to let us continue on this is just a cross cross reference uh to quote from the babylonian talmud and it's important because these two characters in this little snippet were present like in, just slightly before Jesus' time, the, the two schools of thought, Shammai and Hillel. And it, it is directless, directly referencing this question of what's the greatest commandment. So here's Ooh, the quote. And I'll, we'll post the link in the notes, too. Um, On another occasion, it happened that a certain non-Jew came before Shammai and said to him... <laughs> Paul already knows what it is. We may have talked about it before. Uh, This non-Jew says, I will convert to Judaism on one condition, that you teach me the whole Torah while I stand on one foot. (laughs) Kind of weird, but um, Shammai chased him away with the builder's tool that was in his hand. So that didn't turn out great. Beating him Uh, with a stick. (laughs) (laughs) The the same non-Jew came before Hillel later and said to him, convert me. Hillel said to him, What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Go and learn it. So, yeah. uh, doesn't that sound very similar to Jesus' words? So, I just I just wanted yeah. to pose that, that. Yeah, and it's
0: important to note that Hillel and Shammai preceded Jesus— these thoughts, these arguments were very common in Jesus' day, and Jesus was, in fact, I guess in one sense, endorsing the, the, the argument and one side of it, enhancing it a little bit in his own way. That, that's really, really good. It's really good. And I love the very end of it, because it supports the very thing that we had said about, hey, it's not getting rid of the rest and you only have to do these two. It's that these two are a summary and you need all of the detail. What did he say? The, go and this, learn it. Yeah, this is the tour. The rest is commentary. <gasps> go and learn it. Mm. Well, why would you do that if you didn't need it? Well, you do. That's what helps you understand the, the the big thing. So yeah, it's good. All right. Anything else? I'm done. All right. Well, let's go on. Uh, at least we're gonna make it to question four. We can <laughs> we can put a put a wrap on this thing. But this is good because. You know there are some parts where we can move a little quicker, and some parts where you know what we just can't because there's so much here, and this that's what that's where we're at. So here we go. What are we looking at? This is Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 to 46, Mark chapter 12, verses 35 to 37, and Luke chapter 20, verses 41 to 44. Uh, We're going to read from Matthew. So here we go. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together. Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Okay, now I have to say, it's not true. More people will ask him questions. (laughs) But I think we we get the idea that Matthew's trying to convey. So let, let's let's not get too wrapped up in that. But here we go. It's kind of the big uh oh moment. The tables are turning. Jesus is the one who's now asking the questions. But given all that we've seen so far, I think it's easy for us nowadays to kind of hear this one and go, eh. I don't know. That didn't feel like a big a big gotcha. You know, like the one that settled everything. But it is interesting, and we'll work through it. I just think that it probably had a much greater emphasis and impact back in his day. But anyway, let's go ahead. Uh, you, You got the Pharisees. They're still hanging around. They're listening, whatever. And Jesus takes advantage of the moment, and he asks this question. Okay, and again, we're talking about the Christ, the Messiah. We think that it is Jesus, the one who's actually standing there asking this question, but Even in just the most general abstract sense, the question is, you got this Christ, you've got this Messiah, whose son is he? And we just need to notice, this is in no way a gotcha kind of question. I mean, this goes up there, this is on par with things like today, when we joke around, we'd say things like, well, is the Pope Catholic? Or does a bear poop in the woods? Uh I mean, the, the answers are super, super obvious, right? And they knew the answer. They didn't hesitate. They said, the son of David. And they were absolutely right. There's nothing weird or goofy about that. But then Jesus gets them with the gotcha, if you will, right? He says, well, then why does David call him Lord? Now, that may not sound like a big deal to you, uh, but look what's going on. First of all, he's quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. Uh, Psalm 110, just as a general rule, this is possibly the most often quoted in our New Testament writings, and it's used to support Jesus's Messiahship, okay? So Psalm 110, really popular. And it was also in the first century, there was the idea, the, the, the tradition, I guess you will, the understanding that, hey, this isn't just about David or whatever, this this is about Messiah. Okay, so if we looked at the Greek underneath the phrase that we see here as the Lord said to my Lord, well, I don't know, there's not a lot of help there. It's just kind of the same word, you know, but if we go back to the Hebrew, remember this comes from Psalm 110, go back to the Hebrew, it says something more like Yahweh said to my Adonai. Both words get translated, Lord. But it's Yahweh and Adonai. Now Yahweh, that one's easy. We are totally talking about, you know, like the God, the one who there's none besides Him. There's uh, only one. He's the Father, right? That kind of thing. But Adonai, I mean, this is a it's a much more uh, utilitarian word. It could be used for uh, when you're just calling someone Lord, and they don't have to be like God. You're just they're just Lord. You could be calling them Master. Or it can actually be used when we're talking about God, like the big guy, Father, right? The, the, the same one as Yahweh. So it's the, the word is is it's a lot harder to nail down. So again, we're, we're understanding that this is referring to Messiah, and it was common understanding then, but why was this a difficulty for them? Well, because the Pharisees' expectation, and I don't know that we've talked about this a lot here in the podcast, but... Their expectation that this Messiah, the one that they were expecting, hoping for, whatever, they only ever expected him to be human. And let me emphasize, human only. And so in that sense, now we're going to get back into culture and those kind of things. Think about first century Jewish culture. How could a father ever say to his son or call his son, my lord that's just not a thing that 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 defies everything in the in their culture a father would never do that but this verse i mean it definitely leaves open the possibility for something more because it uses the word adonai what is he talking about right what what is actually being said now jesus credits david with understanding from the Holy Spirit when he's actually writing this, which I think is super cool. Uh, David is the one that wrote, The Lord said to my Lord. And, And so first we need to understand, who is this David? Well, David was the king. And as such, this is a very interesting thing, and it relates to something we said in an earlier podcast. He was understood to be a son of God because he was a king. Well, now, how does that work? I mean, that's kind of weird. And and understand that this is, it's kind of like, uh, what's a good word to use? Maybe a title or a status? So in the strictest sense, this phrase, a son of God, it's, it's referring to a heavenly being. It's one that ruled with God in the heavenlies. And yet, Somehow it gets used with humans, like in the case of a king in Israel, they were considered to be a son of God. Now, uh, it, it isn't used just for that. We know we know that Israel has been referred to as a son of God, or or maybe individually you think of as the sons of God, that kind of thing. So it happens, and and where does this come from? It, it's it's emphasizing an elevated status. Okay, that that part's easy to get and in some measure it's also speaking of a future potential reality and this actually gets back to like the garden story that the idea was that humanity was supposed to rule with god in creation but because humanity i'm sorry because creation and 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 the heavenlies sort of overlapped if you will god was dwelling with man there was a sense in which Man had at least some measure of ruling in the heavenlies as well. And so the original man, we could think of them as both son of man and son of God, except th- that, you know, sin came and human uh, creation and the heavenlies are no longer touching or overlapping or whatever. So it's, it's a very interesting thing, that future potential reality. So for David, and let's just go back. Uh, in the natural sense the cultural sense for david to call any other human lord especially a son and and david being a king he's he's considered a son of god it didn't make any natural sense he had to be something more than merely human this this son had to be something more than merely human something more than just a uh, his son and we know of course it's because he is also a son of god david was a son of god because he was a king jesus is son of god uh okay he also is a king but but it goes much deeper than that and so what we see is well what do you got when you got two sons of god well one of them has a greater status than the other and we know this all through Uh, God's dealings with man and creation and we even get some indication of it when we're talking about creations in the heavenlies there is such a thing as status or hierarchy and so Jesus's status as a son of God is higher than David's status even as a son of God as a king and so that is how even though he's his son even though David was a king all of these things David can call him lord because his status is greater now Boy, this is a lot. I just feel like these last couple episodes were throwing so much at you guys. (laughs) Jesus is also, uh, I don't, we've talked about this. What's the favorite thing that Jesus wanted to call himself in the scripture, Samuel?
1: The son of man.
0: Yeah, yeah. He he rarely, and uh, it's all debatable. Some people would say never, but uh, let's at least go with like super rarely ever refer to himself in any messianic sense. He wanted to be known as the Son of Man. Well, this points back to Daniel 7. Yeah, it's elsewhere, but Daniel 7's like the big linchpin, or, you know, the focal point. In the strictest sense, a true Son of Man, okay, he was supposed to rule with God in creation. That's what we see in the very beginning of our Bible, the very beginning of the story. And we know that humanity, well, they blew it, right? But here was Jesus, and he was without sin. So in a sense, he was a true human, like the ones that were created right at the very beginning, before sin happened. And so in that sense, Jesus, being a true human, he truly qualified to rule here in creation. So if we kind of put all this together, we got, okay, we got Messiah. He's a sinless son of man, so he is indeed human, and he's fully qualified to rule with God in creation. But Messiah is also a son of God, and in that sense, he is fully qualified to rule with God in the heavenlies. So therefore, though he's, I mean, he, he, for sure, he is a son of David, but that's not all that he was. And this was really messing with their heads. That was the part that they were... I mean, when Jesus said, well, how can he call him Lord? It's like something in their heads was going, well, then he couldn't have just been a son in the human sense, like ancestry. He had to be something more. Now, we... In hindsight, we look back and, and we've got this idea already in our heads of his divine nature and his human nature combined in one and all of this. It doesn't feel like as big of a brain twist for us, but for them, it's a really big deal. And And, you know, they're seeing this thing of, oh my gosh, the Messiah isn't just human. He had to be something more because even David called him Lord. So anyway, I hope that somehow in that you're seeing how This question for them was actually a really big deal, even though it may not hit us quite as hard as it did them. So the beginning of the story, before the fall, you've got heaven and earth overlapping. Mankind is set up to rule. The rule is primarily for creation, but in some weird way, it also affects or touches or reaches into the heavenlies. The end of the story, and this is, I guess, an important part, you know, like the end of your Bibles after we're all resurrected, there's a new heaven, new earth, all that stuff. It also has the heaven and earth overlapping, and mankind will again fulfill that original role, and it's going to be in some way touching both creation and the heavenlies. So Messiah is the firstborn of this new humanity, the one that David can actually call Lord. So, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff in there. Some people liked what they were hearing, some people didn't but they all agreed apparently according to Matthew they all agreed on one thing they didn't even want to bother asking him any more questions because you know it it appeared that he was just on a different plane a different level of understanding something and they felt you know what we we can't touch this guy we we may not like some of the things he said we may not understand all the things he says but I, in the end as hard as we try, it just is unassailable, and so they were kind of giving up. Anyway, there you go. Those are the four questions, <laughs> Samuel. What do you got now?
1: Man, you you were right about saying that past two weeks have been heavy uh, because I've I've just been wrestling this whole hour about all the stuff that Jesus has been saying. Um, I well, first off, I want to premise by saying. I really like how you went about uh, treating this passage with Jesus' referencing of the psalm and it the overlapping of the earthly realm and the heavenly realm and how that connects to the Son of Man, Son of God aspect of reality, Messiah himself, the age to come, it's great. I love it. And I I I don't think that that is what the uh, Western Church has attempted to do whenever they try to interpret what Jesus is saying here in the Psalms. And unfortunately, like for tr- like modern-day traditional Orthodox Jews who do not recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, they treat the, the common interpretation... Uh, here in the new testament for the church as they're the church is trying to like christianize the uh the old testament scriptures or they're tr- they're, they're or that we're trying to insert Jesus into a passage in the old testament where he didn't belong and yeah. I and mean, you you could you could do a very quick google search you could just type in the lord said to my lord judaism uh interpretation or meaning and there is a slew of articles where they bring their competing interpretations and it's like like i mean i was just reading one earlier today where they say that at the beginning of psalm 110 like where it says uh like a psalm of david they said that the hebrew like doesn't it can't it doesn't exclusively have to mean composed by david it could also mean like uh, a psalm to David, and they <laughs> right they get it they get into things like David didn't get to reap the fruits of building the first temple. like it, it, it went to his son Solomon. and yet David was composing psalms that would later be used in the temple that he wouldn't get to experience. and um, like some Jewish thoughts like, well, this is like a psalm spoken in the third person that Levites will sing, saying that, like, the Lord God said to our master, King David, like, uh, uh, like, yeah. sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies at your footstool, and so I guess <laughs> it's kind of a question is, like, how, not that ton of us are going to have conversations with or- Orthodox Jews where we're living now, but I just... I would struggle with how to have a conversation with someone who they're asking legitimate questions and for good reason based on how it's been misinterpreted. So do you do you know the question I'm I'm getting at is like how we would wade those waters with those that are opposing that messiahness within this passage? Well, uh, okay, quick answer is nope, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but. But let me expound just a little bit, and here's the difficulty. If, like, just say, for example, you wanted to have a conversation with an Orthodox Jew who had these questions or, you know, an existing interpretation or whatever, he is starting with a set of ideas. I call them sometimes lenses or filters or the way that we view the text. And and I or you would be starting with our own set of filters or lenses or whatever and there's there's an immediate difficulty that we have to overcome and that is okay I'm looking at these words and and this is what I see and it seems obvious and if you don't see that I don't even I don't I'm not even getting what you're talking about I can't relate to what you're saying so to speak and they're doing the same thing. And I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm saying this is just normal human stuff. And you also must understand that there's been 2,000 years, okay, probably a little less than that, but you get the idea, 2,000 years of the Jews being treated poorly by Christianity in many, many different ways. Uh, there's probably as much or more support for Jews and Israel, etc. today than there ever has been in all of that history of the past 2,000 years. You know, it's like gone up and down, whatever. But there's still plenty of anti-Semitism left today, even within the church. So what they're seeing in their response, it's also got a lot of that history baked into it. And so there's going to be an immediate difficulty in being able to have the conversation at all. Like, at all. But even if you could somehow overcome that and say, no, really, let's sit down and have this conversation, I just offered a whole bunch of stuff about how we might view that Psalm 110. What is it that we think maybe Jesus was seeing in that? Because Jesus, Mm -hmm. he credits David with writing it. He says that David wrote it in the Spirit. So that goes against what they think. Well, why would they accept that? They don't accept our New Testament Scriptures. As valid. So there's a difficulty. But if they did accept that, I go, okay, well, you know, whatever, let's we'll give you that. Let's say that David wrote it and that David wrote it in the spirit. Well, then you still have this difficulty of trying to get them to, to see all of those things that I just laid out there. And the added difficulty of who in the world says that I'm right? these are things that convince me. These are things that make sense to me, and when I'm telling the whole story contained within our Gospels, I think it's compelling. That's why I repeat it. But that doesn't make me right. Nothing on this podcast is right because we say it. Now, people who say things other than what we say, well, there's nothing that makes them right either. (laughs) Right? So, it's... This is a it's it's a hard hard thing. So when you say, how would I how would I talk about this to someone? How would I approach someone about this? Dude, I don't even know. All I can say is you need to develop some relationship with that person mm. so that there is some sort of trust between you as people. So that when you say Look, can we just talk about this? Why why do you say this or why does when I say this, why do you think that's so wrong or whatever? There's actually some water under that bridge and you might actually be able to have a real conversation. But that isn't just with an orthodox Jew. This is with every other denomination of Christianity in America and every other thing. These are so difficult things in our lives, Samuel. Uh, it's 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 troublesome, and the people mm-hmm. who are going to listen are the people who are already fill in the blank questioning, searching. Uh, I don't know, willing to hear whatever whatever that is, and and they're few and far between. Yeah,
1: especially nowadays.
0: Did that get at what you were asking?
1: For sure. Yeah, okay. I mean, it. Yeah. You brought up details that I uh, wasn't thinking about in the moment, and even. I'm not going to link this article just because I, I don't think that it would provide much good for the overall benefit of this teaching. But later in the article, they're saying that you know it's suggesting that Messiah is replacing the Levitical priesthood and uh, no. you know getting rid of sacrificial system and stuff. And it's you know right there that shows that you know they're influenced by misinterpretations that the church has offered uh, and they're using that as like fuel for their opposition whereas we're coming about it saying like we've never suggested that those things are going to go away and we're right what you said is so good it's like we're simply trying to get into the mind of jesus to figure out like what was he saying not like what we think what it's saying but back to the original context yeah it's a very difficult task
0: and you know hopefully we're doing some
1: good but uh
0: yeah it's a hard thing yeah
1: i don't know anything else no i think we should give people a break and let their brains recover and start (laughs) wrestling and weighing all this stuff out yeah,
0: hopefully, hopefully not too long from now we'll hit some things that are a little easier to digest. But, you know, it's a big week in Jesus' life. We left for almost a quarter of the Gospels approach it. So, I mean, there's got to be some big stuff in here. So Yeah,
1: I mean, a, a real reality is that okie-dokie most between now and the end of the, end of the Gospels could be this heavy week after week. So it I guess could. just <laughs> eat your Wheaties and have some strong coffee to help you push through it
0: yep and just like that guy in jurassic park hang on to your butts i don't know why i just love that line from that
1: movie all right well samuel let's call it done okie dokie thanks for listening to the okie dokie most podcast don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode and be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life you can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. Until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.